May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. In recent weeks, the voices of the darker skinned, oppressed, downtrodden, many of them descendants of slaves, women as well as men, have made their voices heard across the world. It started in Minneapolis, but it seems that this time the world sat up and listened as the protests quickly spread around the globe from Brazil to Indonesia and France to Australia. Those at the top, most of them white men, seem to be hearing the cries a little more clearly than before. Our patriarchal society, which tends to ignore the protestations of insignificant, poor, migrant people, might, we pray, be starting to sit up and listen. And as we do so, perhaps they and we would do well to hear again the story of Hagar. Today's Old Testament reading gives us the harsh, terribly sad story of Hagar. It's raw and it is a little unsettling. Abraham is heartless. Sarah, who should at least be sympathetic to Hagar's situation as a woman, is horrifically cruel. And even God appears not to be defending the defenceless and seems to forsake her on more than one occasion. A quick recap for those of us who haven't thought about Hagar for a while. We're in 1700 BC in a highly patriarchal society where Abram, as he still was then, is rocking it with God and everything else, except he still doesn't have any offspring. So Sarai comes up with the great idea that Abram could sleep with her slave girl, Hagar, the Egyptian. Hagar clearly has no say in the matter. She's a slave. So she does as she's told and conceives a child with Abram. She does exactly what she's been told to do. But then Sarai gets all jealous. And at this point, let's be clear, Hagar isn't perfect and lovely 100% either. Apparently, she looks with contempt on Sarai. So Sarai wants rid of her. Abram is too chicken to do anything himself, but tells Sarai she can do what she wants with her slave girl. Hagar is banished to the wilderness, whereupon an angel finds her. And I think she's the first person in scripture to be addressed by an angel. The angel tells Hagar to go back and submit to her mistress as if she hadn't suffered enough in the household of Abraham and Sarai already. Footnote to the conversation with the angel, he also promises to multiply her offspring and tells her what to call the child, Ishmael, God hears. And finally, at the end of the conversation, Sarai names God, El Roy, meaning God who sees. And then Hagar goes back to Abraham and bears him a son, Ishmael. Skip to today's passage and Sarah is jealous again. This time she's jealous of the relationship between her son Isaac and Ishmael and so again asks Abraham to get rid of Hagar and again he tells her she can do what she likes with the slave girl and God seems to think that's fine too. Hagar is Egyptian, therefore foreign, a migrant, poor, darker skinned, a slave, a concubine, and her mistress hates her. She's the lowest of the low, and people seem to treat her really badly. So my friends, what is Hagar's story doing in the Bible? 
Why does the church uphold texts like this as holy canon? One answer lies in God's relationship with Ishmael as well as Isaac. God tells Abraham that he can let Sarah cast out Hagar, but he also tells Abraham that he will make a nation of Ishmael as well as Isaac. In other words, God will take care of Hagar and Ishmael. And let's not forget that earlier when she went into the wilderness, it was the angel of the Lord who actually went to find Hagar. She doesn't call on the angel of the Lord. In this way, Hagar embodies for us the fidelity of God. The fidelity of God to the family of faith that persists just outside the primal genealogy of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The American theologian Walter Brueggemann writes that Hagar functions to keep the horizon of Israel open to the other. Hagar's role is to keep the horizon of Israel open to the other. She reminds the Old Testament reader that God does have a relationship with those beyond the immediate tribe. And what is more, that she has legitimate claims to make upon the promises of God. In the end, Hagar is not cast out by God. To explore that theme a little further, Hagar embodies God's care for the oppressed and the downtrodden. She understood herself to have seen God. But when she names God the one who sees, she described her certainty of having been seen by God. Not only has she seen God, but she knows that she has been seen by God. She knows she has a relationship with God. And again today, in this evening's part of the story, God intervenes again. We heard God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And so God saves Ishmael. He provides water at the crucial moment when Hagar has given up on being able to keep her boy alive. The parallels with chapter 22, which we'll get next week, when God will intervene to save Isaac from his father's knife, are fairly stark. In Hagar's story, we see God choosing to shower divine grace on this powerless slave. So Hagar embodies God's commitment to those outside the Abraham circle, and she shows us God's compassion for those who have been cast out and rejected. But there are yet more reasons why this story is in fact so crucial to our scriptures. Hagar's story, like that of Israel, includes exodus and exile. She runs away from slavery, like Israel, and experiences exodus. She also experiences exile, which, like for Israel, is an agonising and purifying time. God is there, but it's quite murky. He does at times seem to forsake her, telling Abraham to get rid of her if he wants to. It's a complicated story. But it's clear that she suffers deeply. Hagar is a woman who is despised, rejected. She's a woman of sorrows. She's a woman whose story of suffering is integral to the story of God's covenant with God's chosen people. I'll say that again. She's a woman whose story of suffering is integral to the story of God's covenant with God's chosen people. Hagar's destiny seems to be to suffer 
for the sake of the bigger story. Hagar's story is a story of exodus, time in the wilderness, and then rejection by woman, man, and even God. Any echoes with another story? Hagar's story not only reflects the story of Israel, it is also the story of Jesus. Through the lens of the Gospel, Hagar shows us a rather different picture of God than the one we tend to associate with the Old Testament. And of course, Jewish traditions also have their own re-readings of these texts. Hagar is the one at the edge who has been seen by God and has seen God. She sees as God sees. Hagar shows us Jesus. It is Hagar rather than Abraham who shows us the face of Jesus. So often, those of us who seek to do good to our neighbour, to reach out and give a hand up to those on the margins, we tend to talk and even pray about the way in which this enables us to be Jesus to those less fortunate than ourselves. At the weekly street church and lunch in the park that I used to run in Washington DC, where the congregation were mostly living on the streets or were vulnerably housed, We used to talk about our calling to be the hands and feet of Christ. That's all well and good, but it might be a bit back to front. Hagar challenges us this evening to ask ourselves whether we may need to turn that assumption on its head. It is not that we need to show Jesus to people like Hagar. They are showing us Christ. And so it follows... The cries of George Floyd and the countless others who have been rejected, beaten, betrayed and left to die are the cries of our Lord. Sometimes we find ourselves asking, where is God in these moments of crisis and turmoil? Well, Hagar tells us that he's right there in the midst of the protests and the grieving families and the abused women. He's not just with them. Their experience mirrors his. Theirs are the face of Jesus. That is where we find God. Amen. Amen.